Hungry Hungry Hippo. You remember that game? Like, like there are some board games that are uh, like normal board games, like um, Monopoly or Clue or, you know, like Shoots and Ladders. And then there are like these like ramped up board games. You remember there was that one um, with the cat, Mousetrap. Remember Mousetrap? You had to build this whole assembly of things before you could even play the game. Uh, I feel like that was a game that only played like once because then you'd lose one of the pieces. And um, th there were certain games that were like elevated games. So like um, Mousetrap was one. The other one is Hungry Hungry Hippos, right? Um, if you've never played it, there are four players and they're the top halves of these heads of these hippos. And then you have this button that you are supposed to push, but inevitably in the fury of it, you would pound on the button, right? And every time you'd pound on the button, the top half of the head of the hippo would lunge out and try and grab all these marbles that were rolling around in the middle of the game, I, I don't know if anybody used that game more than about three times before half of the marbles were missing and one of the controls was busted. Um, but it was this game of fury and chaos for seven seconds, right? All the marbles would roll out and everyone, and you're pounding and the noise, the plastic heads jumping out and the marbles bouncing all over. And it was this chaotic panic to get as much of yours as you can. I think that often um, the world we live in feels like a huge game of Hungry Hungry Hippos. Often the world that we live in, it can feel like to us that everyone's out just to get their own and that, that the pursuit of everyone's life is, is as much as you can to hit your button as hard and as fast as you can so that you can grab as many of the marbles and pull them onto your team as possible. What inevitably happens in this world that we live of, of hungry, hungry hippos, is that sometimes when we're playing the game, um, our marbles end up in somebody else's hippo's mouth. The, the marbles that we brought, someone takes something from us and it can feel like the only answer we have is to hit our button harder and faster to try and grab more and more of somebody else's marbles. We've been looking at the book of Philemon, and we're doing a short study for four weeks through the book of Philemon, and, and we're introduced to a couple individuals in the story. Um, Paul, who pens the letter, Philemon and his household, a couple other people are mentioned who is a wealthy businessman who has um, indentured servants in his um, household, or th they would have called them slaves. We're going to get to that next week. We're going to talk about slavery in the ancient Near East and, and, and the Bible's view on slavery. Um, we're introduced to Onesimus. Onesimus is the indentured servant, the, the slave that's spoken of, and, and the story tells us in the letter that Paul writes to this, this man that um, Onesimus has run away, and he makes this comment, and he says, whatever he's taken from you, charge it to my account. Uh, part of the story that Paul is trying to address in this book of Philemon is that 
Philemon actually had something taken from him. And I think that's a place where we can all connect, we can all understand. If you live life long enough in a relationship um, with, with family, it may not be something material. Maybe it is. Maybe you've got a klepto in your family and they just jack things every time they come to visit you. But if you live in this world long enough, there's going to be a moment, there's going to be an incident, there's going to be a season where it feels like, in a very real sense, that someone takes something from you. At the root of most relational division is a, an offense where someone took something from someone else. It may have it may have been something physical, but most of the time it's something way more meaningful than that. Most of the time it's um, identity, um, dignity, independence, trust, security, um, uh, something of significance. And, and I bet if you took a moment and we just paused for a moment, um, you could itemize some individuals that you would recognize have robbed you of something, that you're holding an IOU that they've taken from you, and you're going to make sure that they never take from you again, and you're not going to get taken by them, and you're going to make sure that they remember and you remember always what they robbed you of. And this is the position that Philemon is in, because not only did the, the person who owed him an incredible debt in, in the process of becoming an indentured servant, um, robbed him of repaying that debt, but, but on top of that, Paul pretty, makes pretty clear that he took something from him. And so, so Paul is giving us an opportunity to see what we're going to talk about today is, what does it look like to pursue biblical reconciliation and restoration when we are the ones who've been robbed. Because you see, there's this really huge tension in the world of hungry, hungry hippos that we live in, is that Paul writes in another book to the church at Corinth, he, he says this in 2 Corinthians 5, this is what he says to you and me, who are members of this world of hungry, hungry hippos. He says this, now, now, all these things, he's talking about Jesus and new life and hope. All these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, right? So, so he has restored, he has redeemed, he has reconciled us through Christ. And, and then listen to this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he goes to define it more specifically. He says this for 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, not counting their violations, not counting the things they robbed from him against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. There's a lot of ways in this world that the church is intended to be salt and light and to stand out unique and different from this world, to be a people of the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world. And this is one of those ways. 
that we are to be people who are defined by, uniquely seen as people of reconciliation and restoration. Uh, A people of forgiveness and healing and hope. A people who are, uh, the prayer says, that, that that we are bringing, that we are asking God to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, and that we, Scripture says, are ambassadors that. We are to be people who are ushering God's kingdom into the world that we live in. And God's kingdom, citizenship into his kingdom, is defined by reconciliation and restoration. And so if we are to be a people who are ushering in the kingdom of God in this hungry, hungry hippos world, then we are, we have to discover what it means to be people ourselves of reconciliation. There's um, an animal I'm sure you've heard of before called the Impala, right? Not, not the great car. Wasn't that a great car? Not, not the current one. Maybe you have a current Chevy Impala. That's great too, but the old ones, they're beautiful cars. But not the car. The animal. The African animal is very small, surprisingly small. Two and a half, three feet tall. Two and a half, three feet tall. And here's some crazy things about the, the Impala. The Impala, from a standing position, without moving, the Impala can jump 13 feet in the air. Remember, the Impala is two and a half to three feet tall when it's full grown. Right? It, it, it would come up to like my hip and it can launch itself 13 feet into the air. Four to five times its size. Isn't that nuts? Here's another crazy stat about the Impala. The Impala, from a running position, can launch itself 30 feet. So as the Impala is running, this is the Impala's defense, you know, often down by water holes and alligators maybe will jump and try and grab them and they can explode 13 feet in the air. Uh, um, A lion or um, something maybe trying to chase them and they can launch themselves 30 feet through the air, 13 feet in the air, 30 feet through the air, two and a half to three feet tall. This is an incredible animal. It's amazing what it can do. And you can see them running in herds and all of a sudden just boo! And the whole herd just like takes flight for 30 feet, right? Here's the incredible thing. If you go to the Portland Zoo, you can see impalas. You know how they've secured impalas in the Portland Zoo? Um, Not with a 14-foot fence. Not with a gap that is... uh, 35 feet long to make sure that they can't jump across the the fullness of the gap. Not a fence taller than they can jump. You know how they've secured them in? With a barrier that's three feet tall. Three feet tall. This animal can jump 13 feet in the air. It can jump across a 30-foot gap, and yet they hold it in with a three-foot wall. Because here's what they discovered of the Impala. If the Impala cannot see where it's going, it will not jump. So this majestic, incredible, amazing creature built by God with explosive power, like like explosive power, like unseen amongst mammals in the world, 
13 feet in the air, 30 feet across the gap, is held in by a three-foot wall simply because they're unable to see the end. I think many of us in the church struggle with what reconciliation looks like and how we go about being a people of the ministry of reconciliation because we haven't had the vision to see what the end looks like. God's equipped us with the Spirit of God in us. He's modeled for us an incredible feat that he gave his own son, that he went to the very extent of becoming like us, of emptying himself and becoming like us so that, so that he could give himself for us to, to reconcile all of humanity. That, that John 3.16 in one of the most incredible verses says that, that, that whoever... That God gave himself so that whoever believes in him, that anybody, that nobody is too far from Jesus. In fact, Paul, who's, who's penning the book of Philemon, I heard this recently and I just thought it was so profoundly beautiful. He said, think, think about this. Paul, will, Paul entered into, the, into heaven to the cheers and the welcome of those he martyred. And they said this, that's how the gospel works. I mean, that, that's the incredible thing about the ministry of, of the power of God's reconciliation is that a man who murdered people and put them in heaven in the presence of God, that he too can be invited in and that they can call themselves brothers and sisters. We, we cannot over-exaggerate the profoundness, the shockiness, the incredibleness of the power of reconciliation demonstrated through Jesus. And then Paul says, like all this has happened because of Jesus, we've been reconciled. And so now you and I, you and I have a job to do. But so often in the church, we find ourselves bitter and angry and divided over relatively petty things? And I think it's because we just don't have the vision to see what reconciliation could and should look like. And in the book of Philemon, we, we see this incredible story. And I don't know if today, if we could feel the weight of the power of the story. There, there are so many areas and so many people involved in the story that need reconciliation, that need forgiveness, that need healing. It, it, it's, you know, Onesimus, he, he robbed from Philemon. Like, even if we discount the whole slavery indentured servant thing, if we're like, oh, that's, that's immoral, that was unethical, he should have run away, that was the right thing to do, right? Even if you say that, it, Paul makes pretty clear that he robbed Philemon of something. So you have this person who lives in your house working for you that leaves and robs from you. Onesimus is in need of reconciliation and forgiveness from who Paul calls a, a brother in Christ. Philemon 
Philemon, he, he needs reconciliation. He needs forgiveness. He's, he's engaging in a, in, a, in a practice, in an industry that is robbing the dignity of people. We're going to talk more about that next week. But, but he, he is, he is um, stealing from the life and sanctity and dignity of Onesimus. And he needs forgiveness. Paul's inviting him to release Onesimus, to, to give him his freedom. But part of that process is going to require Philemon to acknowledge that what he's done and what he's been engaged in has been wrong and has been an offense against his brother and Onesimus. And he's going to have to ask Onesimus for, for forgiveness and, and healing and restoration and reconciliation. So many of us today have those people in our lives that we've checked off, that we've blotted out. At least we think we have. We, we still think about them often. Who have robbed us of some really real things. And we, as a people who are intended to be ambassadors of a kingdom of reconciliation, have instead become a people unable and unwilling to find ways to forgive and to be a people, a priesthood of reconciliation. And I think it's because in a world of hungry, hungry hippos, too many of us are like the Impala stuck behind a three-foot fence, unable to see what it could be. So today, I just, in the time that we have left, in the next 10 minutes, I want to show you just a couple things. It's not conclusive. It's not full. We could do seven weeks on reconciliation alone, but I I just want to show you a couple high points that I want you to sit on and and pray over and wrestle with. And and maybe one of these things are something that you need to really be pursuing and and, and dealing with in in your heart. And and the first is this, is if you look at Philemon, um, verse nine, Paul says this, yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. For love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. And, and the question um, that you want to ask yourself is, love for who? And I think that what Paul, what Paul is pointing Philemon back into this passage is the foundation of his love for God. All of our pursuits of reconciliation that do not begin grounded in the unwavering foundation of God's love for us and our reciprocating love to him, right? We love because he first loved us, John tells us. That, that, that the first thing that we need to be pursuing before we consider anyone else in this world of hungry, hungry hippos, before we consider any other offense against us, what we need to be pursuing and considering and wrestling with ourselves is our own heart before God. Do we, have we been reminded, do do we sit humbly with with a a weight, a joy, an overwhelmingness of God's goodness and grace to me? Am I reminded, do I know deeply in my soul the depths to which God went to save me? 
to bring me life and to bring me hope? Do, do, am I daily astounded and overwhelmed by the depths of his love for me? Because, see, the foundation of the gospel is that truth. That there is a God who loves you more than you could fathom or imagine. Here's some important thing I want you to hear today. Whether you ever pursue reconciliation with a single person ever in all of your life, it will not diminish the extent of God's love for you. We do not pursue forgiveness or reconciliation or restoration so that we might convince God we're worthy of being loved. In fact, it is the exact opposite. Forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration cannot begin in truth, in depth, in life-changing ways until we understand that we are perfectly and completely loved, just as we are as busted and broken people with anger and bitterness and arrogance and offense and hurts and wounds and scars that God loves us perfectly today. How's your relationship with God? How, how's um, my wife's family started a thing? One of the cousins, I think one of her aunts talked about... Um, how when their daughters were growing up, there'd be moments where they would get um, extra emotional and they would have a hard time handling themselves and navigating conflict and, and, and just, you know, the emotions of growing up. And, and the question they would ask them as they were growing up is they'd say, um, how's your love cup? Right? And sometimes the kid's still in like a bad mood and right? And, and, and their, their parents would kind of grab them and hold them and they'd say, I'm going to fill up your love cup, right? Sometimes they'd be self-aware enough and honest enough to say, my, my love cup's pretty empty. And they'd sit there on the couch and they'd hold each other and maybe sing over one another, pray over them, just be present with them. So the question I want to begin with before we talk about anybody else in your life is this question is, is how's your love cup? Have you spent time alone with God? Have you spent time in his word? Have you spent time in worship? How's your love cup? Because there is a God who wants to overflow your love cup. Second thing is this. Verse 16 says this. Look, look at what Paul says. Reconciliation looks like this. He says, um, no longer as a slave. This is how I want you to treat Onesimus. Philemon, this is how I want you to treat him. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. A beloved brother. What is the identity that you give the people who've robbed you? Have you stripped them of their identity so that they are simply a monster? Have you stripped them of their identity so that they're a two-dimensional cartoon? Have you allowed enough of the gossip you've spread about them to rob them of the complexity of their humanity? We will never pursue love and reconciliation to people that we see as two-dimensional cartoons. Instead, 
Paul's reminder, his challenge to Philemon is to remember and to see Onesimus as a brother, as an image bearer of God. There's a lot of implications to that. It's an implication that reminds us that every single one of us is broken, that every single one of us is sinful, that every single one of us carries the marks of sin and rebellion in our soul, and that in every single one of us, you and me and everyone in your life, that there are moments where our brokenness explodes as shrapnel out onto other people. It reminds us when we can, we can see someone as a, as a brother, as an image bearer of God, that that person is dearly loved by their creator. That just as you are unfathomably, Im- immensely, overwhelmingly loved by the God of the universe, that they too are loved by their Father in heaven. That they are image bearers, broken and rebellious and sinful, yes. But they're image bearers of God. That, that the invitation to them is to be brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God. And maybe even, maybe what's most painful, what's most difficult is that maybe they acknowledge that. Maybe they carry the name Christian. And they have done great offense to you. And they've robbed you. And there's bitterness and anger consuming your soul. Because how could someone claiming to love Jesus act or treat someone the way that they did? But if we are going to be people who find healing and reconciliation, it must begin with us being people who recognize that they are image bearers of God, broken, yes, but dearly loved, and that we would pray the often quoted, rarely understood the depths of the prayer, that God might give us eyes to see the things he sees. And that when Philemon looks at Onesimus, he would not see a runaway slave, but he would see a brother a brother. The last thing is this. The last thing is this. He, he says this in verse 18. But if he has wronged you in any ways or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Here's the truth of reconciliation, of forgiveness. Um, we don't forget. You never will forget. It's, it's, it's part of your life. It's part of your story. There are probably scars in you from that experience. But here's part of what we have to recognize. Those offenses, those things that we hold against that person, we're never getting them back. Even if the person forgives and and seeks to pursue restitution, there is no way in this world that that person is ever going to give you back your dignity, your 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 safety, trust, um in a sense that sees it, you, you're, the truth is we're just never going to give it back. The balls that have been consumed by somebody else's hippo are never going to end up back in our hippo. And we have to recognize that there are debts that will just never get paid this side of heaven. That there are offenses, there are wounds that will never fully heal the side of heaven. 
Yes, God is a healer and a restorer and a reconciler, but you know what he did after he rose from the dead? He stood before Thomas and he said, look, look, look at the scars. Feel the hole in my side. See, see these scars here? These are the scars of, of your sin, of your rebellion, and they will forever be tattooed into my wrist and into my side. There are some offenses that you'll just never get paid back for. And if we are going to be people of reconciliation, we have to be people who are willing to tear up the IOUs, that are willing to dismiss the debts. Forgiveness does not look like forgetting, but forgiveness looks like recognizing, understanding, and handing over a debt that someone owes you, knowing that they will never be able to pay you back from what they robbed you. You see, forgiveness and reconciliation, relational reconciliation, is not a favor you do for someone else. Relational reconciliation, forgiveness, is a gift you give yourself. As long as we walk around this world carrying IOUs, we will be enslaved just as Onesimus to our debt. We will be enslaved waiting for someone to pay us back that never is going to. But the invitation of Jesus is that we might be a people who let go of the debt, who say the things that God's forgiven me of, abundantly more, excessively more, more than I could fathom or imagine. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this debt, just as Paul says. I'm going to take this debt, and, and I'm going to put it on Jesus. And I'm going to put it on the account that you owe to him. And he paid it all so that I might be freed from the chains and the bondage of my bitterness and anger, that I might be a person who walks with grace and mercy and hope and healing, that I might be, as 2 Corinthians says, that I might be a minister of reconciliation, that in a world of hungry, hungry hippos, that I might be someone who can leap over the three-foot wall and bring healing and reconciliation to marriages, to family, to friends, to neighborhoods, to communities, and maybe even to our nation in this world. It will not be an easy path forward. It will be painful and hard and requires us to be honest with ourselves in some really uncomfortable ways. And reconciliation and forgiveness looks so complex and nuanced, but, but these three things I want to ask you. How's your love cup? How's your love cup? Do you know, have you reminded recently, sat humbly under the truth of the depths of God's love? How's your love for your brothers and sisters? How's your love for those around you in your community? Is there a subtle aggravation and annoyance? Or is there a love that sees them the way God sees them as his dearly beloved children? And lastly, when was the last time you shredded an IOU? When was the last time you forgave a debt? and said, you know what, I appreciate it, 
but um, I'm not expecting you to pay me back because I know you can't. But I trust and believe in a God who is restoring and reconciling my heart to him and a God who is healing the wounds of my broken soul. What would happen in our world, in our families, if we were those kind of people? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today for the depths of your love, the profoundness of your love, the, the, the overwhelmingness of your love. Lord, we thank you today for the cross, for Jesus, for grace and mercy. Lord, I pray. I pray that today you might overwhelm us again with your goodness. That you'd fill up our love cup. That every one of us watching, wherever we're watching from, that you would overwhelm our love cup. Lord, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see brothers and sisters just as you see them. As dearly loved children. And then, Lord, I pray you'd give us the courage. That you'd give us the vision to see what could be before us when we are people who are quick to forgive, quick to tear up the IOUs accumulated in this world of hungry, hungry hippos. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I'm so glad you chose to join us today. I really hope that this has been a time of encouragement. A, a time of challenge. I, I hope that there's something today that you have to wrestle with. I, re, I really do. I, I hope that we um, grow in our faith and discover more of who God is when there's things we wrestle with. And so if there's some things you got to chew on and you got to wrestle with, I'm, I'm glad that's happening. We'd love to connect with you. love to talk with you through the, some of those things. love to process. Maybe you got some questions. Um, the best way to do that is to text the word Monmouth to 97,000. Or if you're at live.mymcc.cc, you can jump in the chat box right now and you can chat with one of our online hosts. They'd love to connect with you right now and chat with you. Um, if MCC has been a blessing to you, an encouragement to you, we'd invite you to give as an act of worship. And the easiest way you can do that is the same thing, is text the word um, Monmouth to the number 97,097000. And uh, there's a spot option there for you to give through texting. Uh, we're so glad that you're part of this MCC family. Um, I'm looking forward to, again, next week we can get together and we can talk about um, slavery. And we can talk about the Bible's view on slavery. And we can talk about the incredible opportunity we have today in this world to be a people of a subversive culture in this crazy world we live in. Love you guys. Look forward to joining with you next week.